Open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel once again. Daniel chapter 11 is where we're going to be. We're not going to start there, but if you want to turn to Daniel 11, you'll be ready for it. We've been preaching through this book of Daniel now for the last six months, and we are nearing its end. And uh, when we are done, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, we will begin 1 Corinthians. Let's ask God to bless our time together as we preach and hear His Word. Father, thank You so much for Your people gathering once again to worship You. On this Lord's Day, when we remember Christ risen from the dead and the glorious gospel and hope we have in Jesus Christ, thank You that we have already sung the Word and read the Word. And Lord, uh, we've prayed biblical prayers. And God, now we come before You needing Your help as we preach the Word and hear the Word. And obey the word. Help us, God, to be transformed by this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we discussed the first part of Daniel chapter 11. And I told you last week that Daniel 11 is probably one of the most difficult chapters in all the Bible. In which, last week, we saw in the first 35 verses an amazing fulfillment of prophecy. We said that for us, it's fulfilled prophecy, which then becomes a part of history. And that's exactly what we saw in these verses in Daniel chapter 11. Daniel 11, 1 through 35, is a prophecy that Daniel received 400 years before the events happened. It's about wars that would be waged against two kingdoms of the north and the south of the divided Greek empire. And the reason this is so pertinent is because Israel will be caught in the middle. We said last week it's fulfilled history. And you can pick up any history book and check the events of history during the Greek Empire at that time and see how the Word of God in stunning detail gives us the exact events as they happen. If you didn't listen to that sermon, I encourage you to do so. It will give you great confidence in God's Word. Verses 21 through 35 in particular focused in on one of those kings that we spent a lot of time talking about last week. And we know him from history as this man called Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was an evil, evil king. And he killed thousands and thousands of Jewish people. He was ruthless and perverse. He hated the Jewish people and took his anger out on them because of his frustrations in battle. He went to go attack Egypt, and because the Romans, who are rising in history at this point, stopped him from invading Egypt, he unleashed a furious attack against Israel. He goes in there, and in order to preserve his own legacy, tries to make the Jewish people Greek. And he goes in there and desecrates the temple of God by erecting a statue of Zeus in the temple throwing a temper tantrum. He stops the daily sacrifices. He stops the daily rituals and the offerings and the feasts and festivals that the Jewish people were commanded to observe by God. It is because of this man that the Jews today still celebrate what is known as Hanukkah. That's right. The reason there is Hanukkah today is because of Antiochus Epiphanes doing what he did in the temple and a group of Jewish people called the Maccabees who reclaimed the temple in a battle and rededicated it unto Jew, to God, the God of Israel's worship um, back then. 
That was a lot of information last week. And today, we're going to begin in verse 36, and we're going to see a change in who Daniel is talking about. And there is some debate about this. Who is verses 36 to 45 about? As you said, 21 to 35 is about this man named Antiochus Epiphanes, who we know from history. And, but verses 36 to 45 some people say, are a continuation of a description about that same person. Other people say it's about a future world leader to come. And what I'm going to share with you is a mixture of both of those views. I'm going to say that there is a balance in both of those views, and we can see biblical merit in a little bit of both, and I'm going to show you that this morning. What we see in verse 36 through 45, is another evil king. Somebody like Antiochus. Like that evil king in verses 21 to 35. But he is not the same person. He is a, he is a future leader, and Antiochus is just a prototype of this future evil king to come. I think that's why the text just naturally just flows right into the other. Because in Daniel's mind, and in the minds of the Jewish people, you have this evil king in mind, and then he talks about a future king who's just like that king. But way worse. Way worse. We call that future evil ruler to come, who we believe, verses 36 to 45, to be about... This person, this individual, carries the title, which you probably have heard, Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? An Antichrist, the Antichrist is an end times ruler who will reign over the affairs of this evil world, persecuting the people of God, seemingly to no end, as he hates God. But if you remember from our study from the book of Daniel thus far, the Bible doesn't just speak of one Antichrist in history. Not just one evil guy at the end of history that causes havoc for God's people. We see in the book of Daniel and we see throughout history that there's a long line of antichrists throughout history. And this person at the very end is just the last one in a long line of antichrists. All of these antichrists are satanically possessed or influenced by the evil one himself. And we see that throughout world history and world leaders as well. And it's just not speculation that there is many antichrists that have come, for the Bible says it. For example, in 1 John 2.18, the Apostle John, warning his readers there, says this, Children, it is the last hour. You see, the apostles believed they were living in the end days as well. What is the end days? Well, really, it's anything from the resurrection to the end. The end times is anywhere from the resurrection, which is where Jesus Christ went, ascended to heaven to sit on his throne to rule and reign until all his enemies are made his footstool, until the very end, till the gospel is proclaimed to the whole world and all of God's elect are saved. But listen to what he says. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many, many antichrists have come. There's somebody coming, but we already know that many have already come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. 
So who are some of these antichrists? Because I know, you know what a lot of people like to do in these prophecy things is they like to do these equations and get numbers and letters together and pinpoint who they think the antichrist is, right? Have you ever seen that done? And there's throughout history, a lot of people have labeled the antichrist and they were just maybe an evil guy, but maybe not the antichrist, right? But when we're faithful to the scriptures, when we look at the scriptures, we know that God is not wanting us to do math equations to figure out who evil people are. He's wanting us to trust in him and his provisions and his sovereign rule over history. We could see, as the Bible speaks about it, that in Daniel's day, and even in the book of Daniel, these people are mentioned. Nebuchadnezzar was a form of an antichrist. Alexander the Great, as we saw in Daniel already, form of the Antichrist. And Tychus Epiphanes, this evil king in 11, form of the Antichrist. All of the Roman Caesars, forms of the Antichrist. Hitler, and even the reformers, Calvin, Zwingli, Luther, during the Protestant Reformation, thought that Pope Leo X was the Antichrist. Even our Reformed Baptist forefathers in the 1689 confession we're not there yet in our study even label the pope as antichrist as john says many antichrists have come but there's one still coming there's one still coming and he will be worse than all of them that have come before him i believe that we see this form of antichrist in many different ways in the form of godless ideologies that promote wickedness that violate god's law they encourage people to disobey Scripture. They cause confusion and chaos over God's created order and such things as gender and marriage and the murdering of innocent life. We see all forms of the evil one's tricks and plays as he is trying to subvert the will of God in this world. This we are in spiritual warfare. We've talked about that a lot in Daniel chapter 10. We're at war, not against flesh and blood, right? But against spiritual darkness is what the scriptures say. There's a war happening all around us. And it will not be over until the Lord Jesus comes to destroy them all with the breath of his mouth. Amen? We're in this war and we will see lots of people oppose God. And we see throughout history who some of these people are are and were and who they might be. As a matter of fact, John even says this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. For John, Antichrist is not something just future. Yeah, there's somebody still coming. We're dealing with it now. Just turn on the news. Read the headlines. Go anywhere in the month of June and you'll see the Antichrist ideology pervasive and acceptable in the world. Just last week, there was a baseball player on the Toronto Blue Jays who's a Christian who spoke out against uh, Gay Pride Month. And he was scolded by the Toronto Blue Jays. And even though he's a Christian, he had to offer an apology for what he said, which was nothing bad, just that he's a Christian and does not approve of this sinful lifestyle. The Toronto Blue Jays made him apologize. He caved to their pressure. And then they released him and cut him this past week. 
Here's the thing. The world will always move the goalposts. They will always try to get you to where they are. And then when you have satisfied their demands to save your job, they will eventually cut you loose. And what have you gained? Nothing. Stand for Christ even if it costs you everything, brothers and sisters. Stand for Christ. Antichrist is seen in false doctrine, as John just said here. People who deny Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is, um, this is something that John had to deal with, with the Gnostics in his day. People who were denying the deity of Christ. We see that all around today. Antichrist is seen in godless evil politicians and rulers that oppose God's law. We see this during the governmental COVID measures, COVID measures that were instituted to keep certain churches closed or jailed even certain pastors. In California, it was illegal to have church, but it was okay for a bar or strip club to remain open. We see this in the feminist movement, the gay pride movement, the woke movement, all these godless ideologies that are opposed to the word of God. And all of these descriptions of such evil people, in the book of Daniel, God calls beasts. And all these beasts that are raging and warring against God's will and the people of God. Daniel dealt with it. Daniel knew they were coming. John tells us they've come, they're here, and they're still going to come in the future. But even then, in spite of all that, there is one final antichrist at the end. There's one final individual or, or something like that at the end that will be present when the Lord Jesus returns. Well, let's see some more of who this man is. Antiochus is just a prototype, a prototype. Whoever comes at the end will be just as bad as him, but even worse. And let me say that, that there is a view, and I'm not opposed to this view. I, I think it has a lot of scriptural support, that the end times antichrist, even though as we've seen, it's in ideologies and people and groups, is not necessarily one individual. It there's a lot of scriptural support that, that it's evil and wicked government. For example, John in Revelation chapter 13 has his vision of what? The Antichrist in Revelation 13. And how he describes the Antichrist is stunningly similar to how Daniel describes him, describes the beast in the book of Daniel. Remember how, what Daniel's vision was in Daniel chapter 7. What did Daniel see? A lion coming out of the, a beast that looked like a lion, a beast that looked like a bear, a beast that looked like a leopard, all coming out of the sea. And of course, these represented what? The governmental empires that would come. Babylon, Persia, Greek, and then of course, Rome. In in Revelation chapter 13, John uses the same exact descriptions to describe the Antichrist at the end. Listen to what he says. I'll just read it. Revelation 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Of course, this is all symbolic. There's no beast coming out of the sea. It's all apocalyptic literature. It's not to be taken literally. It's symbolizing something. I saw a beast rising out of the sea, John says, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. And its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. All three beasts, the same beasts that Daniel saw in Daniel 7. 
Here John describes here in Revelation chapter 13. And to it the dragon, that's the devil, gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have had a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, that's Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. What's the difference here between Daniel and John's vision of this Antichrist? Daniel sees four separate beasts coming out of the sea. John sees one. He sees one beast that has all the characteristics of all the beasts that preceded it. It's not four different beasts. It's one beast that looks like a leopard, a lion, and a bear. Interesting, isn't it? And one individual or one entity. If the beast in Daniel described kingdoms and empires that ruled the world, it could be, it very well could be, that the Antichrist, the end times Antichrist, could be the one world government, right? Or the new world order that's been talked about that comes at the end, that is a description of all these beasts coming together to what? War against the people of God and against the law of God. If it's government, it could be this one world government. Or if it's an individual, there's an individual that's probably going to run the one world government. I don't think either of those views are necessarily incorrect. I think it's probably right on the right track. So let's go to Daniel 11 and look here. I wanted to give you that as an introduction to help you understand a little bit of preface to what the Bible talks about Antichrist, how this ties to Revelation, and we're going to look more at that, and how this appears in the book of Daniel, and what we ought to do with it today, right? Daniel's getting this vision of the end times. In verse 36, he begins to describe this final Antichrist, and he says, and the king shall do as he wills. The king shall do as he wills. We know that nothing happens apart from God's sovereign will. But yet here we are. We are told that this king, this evil king, will do as he wills. Somehow God has allowed him to have freedom to exercise his evil upon the world. Or one world government. An individual evil person who leads that world. Nothing happens in human history without the divine permission of God. God is telling a story, and it all culminates in the glory of God, and God will not have anything done that does not accomplish His will. What does He do? He does what He wants. He's ruthless. He has self-autonomy. Nobody tells Him what to do. He shall exalt Himself and magnify Himself above every God. And he shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, 
for he shall magnify himself above all. This individual or this entity exalts himself above every god. This antichrist at the end of the world will demand worship, will demand that they are divine. Listen to me. I am the authority. You do what I say. Tell me that's not a far stretch from big brother government, right? We're watching you. We're spying on you. We will keep you in line. Do as we say. Worship us. Listen to the government. The government says something. It must be true, right? And this thing, this Antichrist speaks astonishing things against the God of gods, blaspheming God to his face, hating the people of God. And it seems as if he's winning. He shall be successful. He shall, he shall um, prosper. I mean, this is incredible. How can God let this individual do all these things and win? Well, he won't win in the end, right? He won't win in the end. God is using him just like he used Pharaoh in Egypt to accomplish all of his purposes. This individual will make himself above all religious systems, all gods on the earth, and thereby demand worship. He demands obedience or else. This is what happens here. And this is why it cannot be Antiochus Epiphanes. I disagree with people who say this is not the Antichrist because Antiochus Epiphanes worshipped Zeus. He set up the statue of Zeus in the Jewish temple. If it was him, then he wouldn't have done that. He would have said, told people, worship me, not Zeus. But this Antichrist, this king, worships, he magnifies himself above every god, even Zeus, and speaks blasphemous words. And he will elevate himself above all gods and religions. What does this sound like? Again, who is behind all of this treachery? Who is behind all of this blasphemy, all of this idolatry, all of this self-exaltation? It is Satan. It is Satan who from the beginning, this is the lie that he has been telling from the beginning. Satan is an angel who was kicked out of heaven for his pride. What was his sin? We read in the book of Ezekiel a prophecy about him that he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to exalt himself to be in the place of God. And because of his pride, Satan fell with a third of the angels in heaven. And since that day, he's been tricking and deceiving men and women to be their own gods. Right? Because that's what sin is, isn't it? I'm God. I have autonomy. I can do what I want. Right? My body, my choice. I do. I make the rules. You listen to me. My feelings are more important than your facts. That's the kind of world we live in today. Self-autonomy. This is a lie from Satan from the beginning. The Antichrist is nothing more than Satan's puppet. That's all he is. That's who all these evil rulers and wicked politicians and governmental empires and dictators are. They're Satan's puppet. Satan wanted to be greater than God. And he felt the fall because of that. And now he deceives these same individuals to also do the same thing he aspired to. To do. And we see the same satanic deception in his mouth. Paul speaks of the Antichrist as well in his letter to the, to the Thessalonians, his second letter to the Thessalonians. And 
And um, if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, just to give you the context here, because we're trying to piece all these things together. We got Daniel and Revelation and 2 Thessalonians. You'll come up with a picture of what's being talked about. Here Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians because they were believing a lie. The Thessalonians were tricked because people had told them, oh, you missed it. Jesus already came back. You guys were just all forgotten about. God doesn't love you, Thessalonians. Second coming's already happened, and now you're just, sorry, you're out of luck. And Paul is encouraging them by saying what? The second coming hasn't happened yet. Because let me tell you what needs to happen first. He says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, the second coming, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Here Paul is speaking of the same person that Daniel 11, 36 to 45 are talking about. Paul doesn't call him antichrist. He calls him man of lawlessness. Or you might have in your translation, the man of sin or the man of perdition, the son of perdition. Here he says, the son of destruction. These are Paul's words about this antichrist at the end of history. He hates God. He's a lawless man. Lawless, why? Well, he makes up his own law, but he's lawless against God's law. He's fighting the very truth of God himself. He is the son of destruction. Look at verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. This guy, this antichrist, who... Now listen how similar this is to Daniel. What else does he do, Paul? Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. What is Paul doing? Paul takes that straight from Daniel 11. How this evil king at the end of history, and Antiochus has already existed in Paul's day, he takes this description of Daniel 11, of this evil king that comes after Antiochus, and he makes the same analogy to this end times ruler who we know as Antichrist. And what does he do? He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. That's what the Antichrist has in common. Worship me. Worship me. Paul says, second coming hasn't happened yet. This guy still has to come. He still has to come. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Proclaiming himself to be God. And again, these things have multiple fulfillments. We won't even talk about 70 AD and the Roman uh, Caesar Titus who went into the temple of God, sacrificed a pig, and said he was God. He was a form of antichrist as well. But of course, the Lord Jesus didn't come back in AD 70. So there's still a future one to come as well. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel 11, he continues in verse 38 by saying, He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Essentially, the prophecy is saying here is that this Antichrist will be strong with military might. He will be a man of war, a man of chaos, a man where he rules by the sword and devastation. 
He will trust in his own military strength and conquer the world by war and by fear. And he rewards those who worship him by what? Giving them rewards of power and prestige. He's a man of great military might and he honors those who worship him and bow the knee to them. But in his military might, he has a demise. Look at verses 40 to 45. Despite his military might, he goes to one final battle and he loses. He loses. This is where we see this life of evil come to an end. There's an end times battle that is unlike all other battles ever fought. We call it today the Battle of Armageddon. Perhaps you've seen it. It's just not a movie back from the early 2000s. The Battle of Armageddon. And this is how Daniel 11 describes this Battle of Armageddon, this final war at the end. At that time of the end. Notice what Daniel says there. At that time of when? The end. We're not talking about Antiochus. We're talking about the end, the future. At that time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. This battle erupts here at the end where the king of the north and king of the south, which we've heard about a lot in Daniel 11. This is Syria and Egypt. Come and attack him. They come and attack him and make war against this leader, this ruler. In verse 41 He shall come into the glorious land. The glorious land is Israel. And tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries. And the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver. And the precious things of Egypt. And as the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. He's successful. He is seemingly winning even all these battles to the end. But look at verse 44. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and devout many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. So despite his military might, beside his thinking that he's a god, despite all of his treasures that he's amassed and the power that he has controlled, he loses in the end. And what we believe is this is a description of what John tells us in Revelation of the great battle of Armageddon. And let me explain why I believe that. If you turn to Revelation chapter 16, I know we're flying through all these passages today, but trust me, this could be a five-hour sermon. I'm trying to get through it. In Revelation chapter 16, we have a little description about this last battle, the battle of Armageddon, which is what Revelation points us to and paints as this last battle that's coming where the forces of Antichrist battle God, but he loses. In Revelation 16, this is what John says, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. You remember what Daniel says? And news from the king of the north and the east, what? Alarmed him. 
I think this is making a connection to the same event. Here is news from the east. The river has dried up. Now they have full access to come into attack mode. And this is what John writes in verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, again, symbolic language here, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may go, not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. All this Antichrist does is he makes war and he conquers and he gets greedy and he's demanding worship or you die. And then we get to this last battle. A battle where Satan and the false prophet and the beast all gathered the world empires, the nations, to come for this last battle, to fight. And what happens? There is nobody there to help him. There's nobody there to help him. You know why? Because it is at this battle that the Lord Jesus comes back in his glorious appearing. And he destroys him with the breath of his mouth. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. After he's encouraging them that the Antichrist is still coming. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Here again, he's Satan's puppet. With all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth. Again, this Antichrist, this evil king at the end of history, does not win. As Nebuchadnezzar did not win. As the kings of Persia did not win. As Alexander the Great did not win. As none of the Caesars of Rome won. Why? Because they're all dead. This is the thing that all evil rulers have in common. You know what it is? They all die. And they stay dead. But the king of kings died and rose again. And he comes back to make war on them all. And this is how history ends. History ends with this last beast. This beast that John describes as a combination of all the beasts put together in one individual or entity, whatever you want to call it. And the Lord Jesus will destroy them with the breath of his mouth. Because here in, um, in Revelation, well, we'll get there in a second. But remember, in Daniel chapter 7, we've already been told this happens. Because this Antichrist in Daniel 7 is called the little horn. In Daniel 7, verse 8, Daniel says, I considered the horns. Behold, there came in among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in the horn were eyes like the eyes of a man speaking great things. And then look at verse 11 of Daniel 7. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Yes, this beast loses. It's already been told that the Son of Man, seated in glory, destroys this last beast in Daniel 7 and Daniel 11. And now look how John puts it in the next passage. 
in Revelation chapter 19. What happens when the Lord Jesus destroys them with the word of his mouth? Listen to this. John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped by blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the kings, the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast. This is the Antichrist. John says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in the presence had, des- had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is how it ends, brothers and sisters. It ends not with evil people winning at the end of the day. It ends with all the armies of the world amassed against God, every evil beast imaginable, and they all lose. This is what John says. And they all were slain. There's nobody left alive. Because the Lord Jesus as Paul says, destroys them with the breath of his mouth. How does John put it? Out of his mouth came a sword, the word of God. Just as God created the worlds and everything we see by the words of his mouth, let there be light. And there was light. He comes on a white horse and destroys every evil ruler amassed against him, even this beast, this antichrist. This one world government. And he destroys them all by speaking. The Lord Jesus doesn't raise a sword. He speaks and his enemies die. This is the king. This is the king who we belong to. This is the king who is over this kingdom. This is not going to end in gloom and doom for us, friends. Things may look bad. Things may look scary. Things may look, I can't believe things have gotten this bad. But let me encourage you. The king is coming. He is coming. And this evil beast, this final antichrist, whoever he is, whoever the armies of the world who are going to be amassed at, whether it's in our lifetime or whether it's a thousand years from now, I can't tell you because nobody knows. I will tell you this though. It will happen. 
It will happen with great certainty. It will great happen with great accuracy, just as the scriptures say. Just as Daniel 11, 1 through 35 were fulfilled in stunning accuracy by prophecy, so will the events I've just told you happen as well. The beast rages today. The enemies of God seem like they're gaining ground. Stupid laws are being passed to hurt the people of God, to hurt people and only aid them on their way to hell. What you and I have to do if we're Christians is do what the Jews did during the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. The people of God stood firm and took action and had faith in their God. Have faith in the word of God. This does not end poorly for us. This is all a part of God's sovereign plan and will. It doesn't matter who wins the election in 2024. It doesn't, it doesn't matter in the, how it all ends. It's all a part of God's history. Yeah, we need to do our part. We need to vote. We need to do all that. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, even if things don't go the way you want them to, guess what? God wins in the end. This is how it's all going. So don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Have faith in God. This is what it's all about. Three more verses and we're done. Three more verses. Bear with me. This is how it ends. This is how it ends for the beast. This is how it ends for this evil king and all evil kings that join him. How does it end for the people of God? What happens when that beast is destroyed? And this is how Daniel chapter 12 begins. The beginning of Daniel chapter 12 should be in chapter 11, right? Verse markers are not inspired. The words are. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. At that time, what time? The time when the beast loses because no one comes to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has a charge of your people. There should be a time of trouble, such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. How does it end for the people of God? Salvation. It ends for salvation. Again, we cannot read these things as linear, as Daniel saying, here, 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 and then he goes back here. You can't just take these things as linear, happening one after another. But here's how it ends. How does it end? Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Who are those? Those are God's elect people. God saved people, written from the foundation of the world, elected and chosen by God's sovereign grace. How about all of our loved ones who have died? How about all of our friends who have died, our spouses who have passed on before us, our parents? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. We will be filled with the glory of God. Why? When we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is the truth. It ends poorly for every evil person on this world. For every person who has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, they will face judgment, everlasting contempt. But for all God's people, all of God's people, we will shine like the brightness of the heavens because we stand righteous in our King who has declared us righteous by faith because of his finished work of death and resurrection. And so, if you are in Christ, take heart, be encouraged. It's going to be all right. We may all die before this happens, and we'll be with the Lord, and that can't come a day sooner. But if it happens in our lifetime, what a glorious thing to behold. And for all those who are already past, They will also behold this victorious king ending world history, saving the last one of God's people and marching on to restore the garden and the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know about you, but I like the end of the story. (laughs) I, I don't like this chapter maybe that we're living in right now, but I like the end of the story and that's what keeps me going. That's why I could go to bed at night tonight And say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. God is on his throne. And remember, he is seated on his throne until he makes all his enemies his footstool. And that last beast will be his footstool as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your blessing us with this word today. Oh, Lord, I felt like I fly through it 100 miles an hour. But God, help us to make sense of it and understand it. Go back and read what didn't make sense and ask some questions. Lord, we don't know all the answers. We don't know all the ins and outs. We don't know when that day will be. Only you do. But God, keep us faithful until then. In the midst of all this chaos that we live in, in the midst of hearing the beast roar with sinfulness and godlessness, lawlessness, Many antichrists have come. Some are already here. But whenever it is that this last one appears, keep the people of God faithful. Persevere us to the end. Help us to stand for truth, even though it costs us everything. And let us glorify you. Let us glorify you, God. We don't have the victory. You do. We have it in you. And God, encourage us. Encourage us. And Father, for those who are in this room who don't know Jesus in a saving way, Lord, you have commanded all people everywhere to repent. And this I implore them to do as I pray this prayer. That they would know the depths of their own sinfulness and run to the Savior for the cure. That by faith they trust in Him completely that they believe that Jesus Christ came and died and has risen again from the dead. And by that, they will become born again, saved, adopted, redeemed, justified. Father, we don't want anyone to perish knowing that you are coming and it will be too late for when you come. Lord, it will be too late to change your mind. Father, it could be today. 
those people who are delaying their belief, delaying their repentance, I pray that they would make that decision today to trust and believe in you and not face the same wrath as the beast. Thank you, God. Work your will in our hearts and in your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a closing hymn together. The choir started us with Our God Reigns. I think that's an appropriate way to finish. Our God Reigns. Amen? Let's sing it.